Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Hello, Urncasters. Welcome to issue two of the Bugle Ashes Urncast. The series has begun, and well, in a world of change, of uncertainty, of flux and counterflux, sometimes it's nice to have a rock of reliability, a granite hippopotamus of immutability in the ornamental duck pond full of piranhas that is 21st century life. And England getting absolutely hammered in the first test in Brisbane is that granite hippopotamus, a dance as old as time itself. Well, I'm going back a few decades now. Uh, It's happened again. It happened again. This time, the optimism lasted for approximately 0.51 seconds, the time it took for the ball to leave Mitchell Stark's hand, go past Rory Burns' bat at probably the oddest angle a batter's ever attempted to hit a cricket ball at, and crash into the leg stump. Uh, Usually, when you get hopeful about something, you have... Yeah, a few moments, minutes, hours even, before those hopes are crushed. 0.51 seconds. Joining me to discuss uh, this, uh, as always, uh, firstly, please welcome the wonderful, uh, the victorious uh, Felicity Ward. Hello, Andy Zaltzman. Felicity, does it ever get boring going inevitably 1-0 up after the first test in Brisbane? Do you know what? No, it really doesn't. It never stops me. It never stops being great. I will tell you this, though, and this okay. this might bring um, some consolation. Right. I actually became a British citizen last week, so this is oh, actually right. this is a loss for me, too. This has actually right. been quite a tough week for me, you know, right. just uh, me watching my home country, but also watching my new country um, right. shrivel, shrivel okay. under the pressure. So, I mean, this is very much a no-lose Ashes or a definite lose ashes for you, I guess, depending on which way. Yeah. No, I'll be picking the winner, whichever one. Well, well well done for joining Britain at, um, well, probably absolute apex of of its history. Yeah. Um, Do you know what apex means? Just (laughs) check. You timed that perfectly. (laughs) Joining us uh, this week, I'm delighted uh, to welcome my Test Match special colleague, very much not an Australian citizen, Daniel Norcross. Hello, Dan. Hello. Well, it's funny you should say that. Uh, my grandfather went to prospect for gold in Australia in right. the uh, 1910s and uh, failed to find any. Uh, killed a Chinese cook on a boat on the way there. Um, he's one of the very few people to have committed a crime and ended up in Australia without being convicted. And uh, then joined the Anzacs, fought at Gallipoli, got shot in the shoulder. And so I, I am basically taking Australian citizenship. But oh, okay. I'm happy... It's a bit like, you know, Felicity's become British. I'm very happy to um, to become Australian. All right. but It's a cultural yeah. exchange programme. That's what the Ashes <laughs> is all about. Out of the last nine Gabba Test matches mm. that England have played, they've... 
been basically drubbed in seven and avoided an eighth drubbing due to a, a fortuitously timed rainstorm in 1998. Just the one glorious exception when uh, they scored 517 for one in the second innings in, in 2010. I mean, we could just talk about that for the next hour and, uh, and yeah. be done with it. If that's what you guys need to do, I'm yeah. here and this is a support group. Okay, right. There was this incredible uh, period of hope, the 162-run partnership, was it? Yes. Uh, between Milan and Root. And mm. the entirety of English hopes in that test match, the ones that like made everyone think, oh, I'm going to stay up, it's Friday night, I'm going to come back from the pub early, I'm going to turn on the TV, I'm going to listen to the radio, whatever I'm going to do, were all based on a partnership between two men that lasted about 50 overs. And every other part of that test match was an absolute <laughs> shambolic disaster. So, look, the resilience of this country, that it can still find hope when it's based on such flimsy premise, is something that I'm very proud of. I stand by the fact that this country is built on hope. You can go to a services in Birmingham in January and they sell bikinis, okay? This country <laughs> is a bright side. This is a this is a glass half full country. I stand by that. <laughs> well, that's that's a lovely yeah, way of thinking. I'm arguing with that. Um, but you got to remember, Dan. I mean, it might have only been one crumb of comfort that partnership. Uh, either side of which, if I've done my maths right, England scored uh, f- all for f- loads um, in, in cricket and college <laughs> um, over the, the two innings combined. But you know, if you you know add the uh, yeast of delusion to the crumb of comfort, <laughs> you can make a baguette of hope. Surely. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, quite clearly, uh, looking at that test match with a completely deluded eye, what I saw was that Pope and Butler in the first innings were absolutely fantastic. I mean, that partnership of 60 or 50 odd was worth 400 on any other day. Oh, absolutely. Like dog dog years. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly exactly like dog years. Seven times. The way Pope was moving into the ball. He was so busy, wasn't he? Those singles. I mean, he got some great singles. Some of the old time uh, classic singles. I think you can get a DVD of oh, all the singles that's just come out today. And they were, and they were all beautiful, weren't they? They were all yeah. just pushed to the right of cover uh, and, and for a busy single. <laughs> and then there was the lofted drive from Butler. I mean, you could, I think you could extrapolate from that that it would be very surprising if Butler doesn't get a match-winning double hundred at some point in this series. Yeah. And just really, the way Mark Wood bowled for one spell against David Warner <laughs> tells you that at some point Australia are going to collapse beneath his... Uh, Geordie weight. He's probably not Geordie. He's probably from Sunderland. Isn't also, he's not very heavy. Um, for, he's not. He's not very heavy. No, he's yeah. uh, quite sort of, but through through his skiddy brilliance for about twenty five <laughs> at some point. And uh, the the form roots in. Be staggered if he doesn't make it to a thousand runs across the entire series. I think Australia yeah, have I probably do. looked at that Test match if they've got any sense at all and gone, oh shit, we are in serious trouble here. Oh, I think I heard. I heard Pat Cummins. His uh, his quote was few. That they just crawled, crawled mm. over the finishing line of that one. Yeah, I mean, just those those nine. You know, if there'd been nine more wickets, England would have oh. would have won that game by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they really all they all they really needed was another hundred and fifty to two hundred runs in the first innings and to bowl Australia out for about hundred and fifty to two hundred fewer. And if you think about it, those are the tiny margins, the fine. What do, you, what, what do you want to call them? 50 percenters. The yeah, gossamer yeah. threads of destiny. Like, <laughs> yeah, that can make a huge difference. If you can just get those 50 percenters sorted, then uh, you know, you're really in with a chance. 
<laughs> well, England are very good at the one percent, aren't they? I mean, listen, they have this huge backroom staff uh, with you know, all the, the different kind of sommeliers and mung, mung bean consultants, and um, I think they've got three mung exorcists uh, travelling uh, with them, which is a, a relic of the Kevin Peterson days. I think um, they've got all these backroom staff. The one percents, uh, abs- they are all over it. Arguably the best side in the world at the one percents, but they have slightly neglected the the, the ninety nine that ninety nine percent of. Actually playing yeah. the game and having a structure that that, that creates yeah. players that can do it, which might, you know, we can build up to that, I guess, over the next couple of thousand years. Let's think back to the the toss, because I said that it started going wrong after 0.51 seconds. Did it actually start going wrong before that, when the coin landed <laughs> oh, yes. the wrong way? It landed in Joe Root's favour, mm. and the Gabba is the proverbial good toss to lose. It's It's been the worst ground for toss-winning captains in the last 26 years of Test cricket in terms of win-loss ratio of the grounds that have hosted at least 12 tests. I think it's about 40 of those grounds. I mean, was was this, Dan, Joe Root's key mistake, calling the, the correct way on the coin? Yeah, I mean, Stephen Finn on Test Match Special said exactly that. He said this is a place where you need to lose the toss, which I think, as Phil Tufton pointed out, is it's a tricky one to master. It's hard to know how to do it. But, um, but, but what you can do as captain, I guess, I mean, the smart thing to do is to go, well, this is what I was going to do at the toss. And if we normally lose, if you win the toss at the gap, do the opposite. Yes. Now, uh, maybe thinking. he did do that. Maybe he did do that. It was one of the most staggering decisions in modern cricketing history, I thought. So here's an England side whose batters have had no time out in the middle, playing mm. against an Australian bowling attack, which has been the same since, oh, I don't know, it seems like forever, but Stark, <laughs> Cummings, Lyons, Hazelwood, bloody hell, forever they've been there. <laughs> and we go in with a bowling attack that's never played together before. For the first time without Broad and Anderson in an Ashes match since 2006, even though they're both there (laughs) wearing tabards and bringing on drinks. It's like utterly bizarre. That was a different reason for not using Truman and Statham in this game, which which was more justified, I think, despite their outstanding records. Well, but they didn't use either of them. And then they looked up at the sky and there was a a cloud the size of Queensland. (laughs) And there was a pitch as green as the greenest, as, as, as the great green stone of Galveston, as Blackadder once uh, pointed out. And you thought, my God, if England are going to arrive at the Gabba, the, the terrifying Gabbatoir in better conditions, it's hard to imagine. It was like 1986. It was like when both of them scored his 138. It was under slate grey skies and a green pitch. God knows what else. And, and what do England choose to do? Leave out the, the perfect bowler to get out the four left-handers in Australia's <laughs> top seven and decide to bat putting out a bunch of callow youths who've never played out there and allow them to be destroyed by the number one bowler in the world. It was quite simply the most staggeringly stupid decision <laughs> since since King Harold bothered to fight at Stamford Bridge when right. really he just needed to hang around at Hastings because, you know, we'd be a different country now. We'd basically be in an anarcho-syndicalist commune if he'd done that. The thing with, with Stamford Bridge well, against... Uh against the Viking eleven, uh, was that, you know, huge confidence <laughs> from from that win. Overconfidence, because then it got to the Battle of Hastings, he started showboating. I said, watch this, I'm going to catch this one in my teeth. And just slightly misjudged the flight arrow. And uh, the rest is... It's history. It's uh, extensively tapestrized history. <laughs> Felicity, 
Can I just ask you this? I mean, were England doomed either way? With it, or did they doomify themselves by plonking their historically unproductive batting order in front of two of the world's top four bowlers? Uh, if and, I can ask you Andy, a slightly loaded question. I think it's very easy to sit here and blame the batsmen for this or the captain's toss or the failure to put more seamers on. Uh, so I will too. Um, I will blame all of them. But what you're not seeing, and, and this might be the Australian eye watching it, what Joe Root did was actually an homage to Tim Payne's last Ashes test at the Oval. Oh, that's so touching. That's the bond between them, I guess. It's very subtle. Yeah, he didn't, you know, he doesn't want to say it openly because of the circumstances under which Tim Payne's captaincy was removed. But I thought it was it was very touching and I thought it was a beautiful gesture and very selfless. Right. It was interesting, actually, on the media that a lot of the ex-players said that there was nothing wrong with batting first. Um, and yet, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of non-players thought, well, they should have they should have bought. But I guess it wasn't, you know, maybe was it clear-cut? I mean, I guess there's different ways of looking at it. But the thing is, it, it basically exposed England's weakness to Australia's strength in the first mm. passage of the series. It was like having a triathlon against a shark where you can choose yeah. which discipline you do first out of running, cycling and swimming. And you choose <laughs> swimming first. In terms of Leach and the England sort of... Spin. They built up his confidence in the same way that Fred Dibner used to build up tower blocks. Uh, essentially, I mean, the, the way they've they've treated it's like you know, I, mean, I see Leach sort of like a boxer whose trainer before the fight is you know giving him his last like pep talk, saying, "Have you seen the size of him? He's he's huge and he's got fucking massive fists. Massive. There's no way I'd get in there. Good luck, buddy. See you in the first uh, first aid room afterwards. They've really messed this up. They didn't pick him for any of the test matches in England's last. Two summers, uh, so he could, you know, he could have had another, you know, ten, twelve tests. If he played, played all, all or most of them. He could have had another, you know, forty, fifty test wickets under his belt, more experience. And they've sent him in. He's barely played all year in a place. Australia's the toughest place to bowl, bowl spin. Visiting spinners of, you know, some of the great spinners of all time have done badly in Australia, and it was, it was. Not just a crass one-off selection. It's been the culmination <laughs> of two years of really idiotic selection. They managed to make... I think Tuffers and I found out they made seven mistakes before a ball had been bowled. <laughs> and then the first ball was bowled. <laughs> and, and Rory Burns made one of the worst batting mistakes you'd ever see. He decided that a, a leg stump half volley was best hit by moving your right your yes, your right foot as a left-hander out somewhere towards extra cover because it's so easy to hit a ball down the leg side if you do that. Well, the, it I, was think, I think that calamitous. showed confidence. That showed that England aren't going to be, you know, they're not going to bow down before uh, you know the, the the weight of statistical history in the action. They're not even going to be bowed down, Rory Burns showed, by the laws of physics. And, you know, he confidently put his feet in completely the wrong place, then swung his bat at 90 degrees to a ball moving at 90 miles an hour. You know, I think if you, if you swung a bat at 90 degrees to a ball moving 90 miles an hour, you know, a thousand times, how many would you hit? Felicity, you're a qualified seven. physicist. I don't know. Okay, okay, let's go with seven. So, I mean, to show that level of confidence for the first one, that sent a powerful message to Australia, um, albeit one that might take um, the rest of the series to come to come through. I mean, one of, the, of those but mistakes... But when it does... <laughs> when it does, it's it's going to be worth watching. It's I mean, going to be too late. Joe Root forgot to put on, as he went out for the toss, what would Pat Cummins least like me to do, wristband. Um, that, that didn't help. And when it comes to, you know, that, that choice between bat, batting rusty or bowling rusty, and the problem with 
batting with bowling rust you can sort of you know, make a mistake and then you adjust and, and you kind of work your way into it batting rusty I mean it's like the difference in walking across a tightrope uh, over a canyon or walking across an ice rink in slippers I mean mistakes are inevitable but the implications are, are somewhat different I mean, let's talk now about this first ball we, we talked extensively last week uh, and indeed dug out the archive commentary of some of England's disastrous uh, Ashes starts. I think we had four snippets of commentary uh, covering a total of three balls. Um, so, yeah, we've we've talked about the mistakes before the ball. Burns' feet, Felicity, we, we talked about England's poor preparation, how to do, the, do their quarantine. It's about, it, it looked as if he hadn't spent two weeks in a hotel quarantine. It looked like he'd spent two weeks in a tumble dryer, the way that he moved <laughs> his feet for that. Um I mean, have you ever seen, I mean, in your extensive career as a um, mm. professional um, dance journalist mm-hmm. uh, and uh, karate uh, pundit, uh, have you ever seen worse footwork than that? No, no, I haven't. Right. And uh, I was from the Peninsula School of Dance and I saw Janine f- up in a Steadford <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> what you have, though, is England has record breakers, okay? The England record for six ducks in a year was Stuart Broad in 2018 and beat only by Jimmy Anderson in 2013. And that's what you have on the England team. Rory Burns got his six ducks and now you have experience. You've got record breakers. You've got people that want to race to the bottom. Right. They want to set the example. I'll tell you what, though. is that For a guy who will probably end up with a relatively modest test career, What's he going to get? What do you reckon? About 3,000 runs at an average of about 34 before he gets to retire and, you know, run a pub or coach <laughs> at a public school. He will have the greatest first ball in Ashes history under his belt. Because that is fun, right. isn't it? I mean, to be yeah. out at the Gabba first, but be bowled around your legs at the Gabba. It's better. That is better than Harmy's ball, he was, I think. Well, I think he, he was to the... walk off in abject shame... <laughs> With all the excitement and a bunch of Australians really, really, really excited and to deflate all of English hopes in one go. That is an achievement that you will never be able to take away from him. It's in the great tradition, Felicity, isn't it? Of, you know, cricket, sport is supposed to bring joy to people. And Rory Burns brought a huge amount of joy to Australia. It's had a difficult time mm. as a country. And who deserves more joy than the animals at the Gabba on the first day of the Ashes? <laughs> Incidentally... The Animals at the Gabba is one of the strangest 1960s blues albums that, that you can hear. Um, some you know, outstanding music, which is the sound of uh, Bill Laurie batting in the background. So let's move on in, in the game a bit, because day one was uh, you know, catastrophic. But then England, you know, the seamers bowled, bowled pretty well. Um, for most of Australia's innings, had a few kind of disastrous patches when things got out of control. And then in the second innings, we had that partnership that Dan mentioned earlier on Root and Milan. And then day four, England had, had ten overs to go to last until the, 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 the new ball became available. And they had Root and Milan, both over 80, not out overnight. What the f*** was said in the team talk before day four that led to England losing... Three, not not one, not two, not four, not five, but three wickets in those crucial ten overs. What could possibly have been said? Everyone knows, actually, don't they, that um, the last ten overs of the old Kookaburra ball under beautiful blue skies on a flat pitch are the most dangerous overs mm. that there are to bat in mm. Australia. 
Uh, and as a result, England went out there with the determination to be positive against it. It's very important to be positive. I don't know if you've noticed in, in the modern world. But you've got, you've got to be very negativity. positive at all times. And we do need more f***ing negativity <laughs> because it all started when Dawid Milan decided it was a good idea to come charging down the wicket to Nathan Lyon and try to flick him through mid-wicket. I mean, all they had to do, right? the whole plan, when you've got two days left, all you've got to do these bat 10 overs, score 15 runs. I don't give a shit. You've scored no runs. Who cares? Be in when they're forced to take the new ball. That's all you've got to do. But it was beautiful because it reminded me so much of Adelaide in 2017 when England thought that they were getting back into it because they had a partnership. That's all it takes for English people to get happy. A partnership. But that's all it should take. That's okay. That's okay to have the spirit. If you don't have a low bar of hope, what are you going to have? Here's the thing. England are very good at playing in rainy, grey conditions. Even if it had continued, though, what they're not good at is playing in grey, rainy conditions when it's 33 degrees and (laughs) 8,000% humidity. You can put England under any cloud in the world, but when you've got that level of humidity, when you can't see because you're not sure if you're crying or your irises are sweating, it's very difficult to play the game. You've got to be seasoned. Yeah. Might have been a better move to bowl then, mightn't it? Because you don't yeah. have to see so much when you bowl. <laughs> As you know, Andy, podcasting is an increasingly cutthroat business, so we've had to oh, resort God, yeah. to sponsorship and adverts here at yep. the Ashes Earncast. Desperate people call for desperate measures. I think that's how the phrase goes. <laughs> I'm going to assume it's come from moving to the bugle umbrella, but needs must. <laughs> so I've got a little sponsorship read for the listeners. It's the most wonderful time of the year. The Ashes. Some of you have been so distracted from Mitchell Stark's first ball slash wicket of the season, you've forgotten that it's just about Christmas. Uh Uh-oh. And your kids are starting to worry that you're withdrawing from the family. Want to keep your cricket and Christmas combined? Well, we've got the solution for you. You've heard of Elf on the Shelf. Well, now there's Mitch on the Pitch, a Mitchell Stark figurine that's fun for you and the kids. Every night you put him in a different part of the house, scaring the life out of Rory Burns, who's life-size at two foot four. One night Mitch could be throwing a 160k ball at Rory. The next night he's just shaving himself a fresh goatee. Terrifying. Including test cricket kit for both and a large humble pie for Mitch's critics. Mitch on the pitch is the Christmas miracle we've all been waiting for. Merry Mitchmas and a happy new year at the SCG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Dan, you, you, um, I know you have a, a theory about Joe Root's captaincy. Um, yes. That, you know, hasn't yet been fully confirmed or denied by Root or the, the ECB. Just talk us through exactly what you think is going on. It's been a conundrum for me, and there's only one conclusion I can come to, because obviously he's arrived down there in Australia, and as we've talked about, he's seen these beautiful skies, he's seen this beautiful pitch, and he's chosen to leave out the two most perfect bowlers for the conditions and <laughs> then chosen to bat against the best uh, bowlers in those conditions. And it, I thought to myself, that the, well, this is dubbed the friendly ashes, isn't it? And then suddenly a light bulb came on and I realised, I thought back to the last friendly ashes. Gubby Allen, you may recall from 1932, was, was a refusenik and, and uh, he wouldn't do it. He was a kind of conscientious objector. So four years later, the MCC decided that in order to maintain crucial uh, trade relations with Australia, I don't know how crucial they were, a country with five million people and you couldn't even transport their sheep in time but anyway <laughs> apparently we needed to then uh we it's decided that we were going to send said said gubby allen quizzling traitor gubby allen <laughs> to go out to australia and create the friendly ashes and after two test matches by accident england were winning on, on account of the fact that they were a much better team and uh, then gubby allen proceeded to throw the next three games <laughs> the only time in history that a side has gone from 2-0 up to 3-2 down. And the only way you can actually do that, because it's, as it's only ever happened once, <laughs> is obviously to throw the game. And I believe that the ghostly shade of Gabby Allen right. is um, haunting Joe Root right. as we speak and putting messages into his ear. Uh, we have I'm a haunted in, captain. In a relatively, yeah, we've got... Well, I don't think that... <laughs> yes, in a sense, he is haunted by right. the ghost of Gabby Allen. You know, I think he's cooing into his ear in a very high-pitched, posh voice, because that's what Gabby Allen's voice was like. Joe, Joe, you must, you must drop, etc. you know. <laughs> drop, drop, drop. Telling him to do everything wrong. And obviously wearing a bacon leg tie um, and just sort of <laughs> shimmering around in his quarantine hotel, uh, just uh, putting horrible suggestions into Joe's head. And Joe is a lovely guy, but I, I don't think he'll be able to resist that level of spectral um, right. interference. He's only human. Yeah. Have you ever been haunted by a former international um, cricket captain of any kind? Oh, I mean, which one, Andy? Which right. one? <laughs> it happens so often. I mean, I, I'm surprised this hasn't come up on the podcast before, <laughs> even though this is only the second episode of this incarnation. I've been haunted by... The Maharaja of Isianagram? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually... I just wanted to talk about Gubby's name. Um, I, I was going to bring this up later, um, that Alex Carey, an amazing wiki debut. Um, yes, we can talk about how I pronounce debut in a second. My husband and I go into this all of the time. It's one of the very funny differences we have. I looked at Australian wicketkeepers' names very much on the Gubby Allen train. We had some other wicketkeepers over time. Wally Grout, big fan of that. <laughs> Ron Saggers, sure. <laughs> but of course, the number one, Hammy Love. Hammy <laughs> Love. And that was short for Hampton Stanley Bray Love. 
Come on! <laughs> oh, and he used to wear a uh, a white cravat, didn't he? A lot, Hammy Love. There's uh, the pictures you see of him. He, he was always wearing a kind of lovely, massive white flamboyant. It doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> oh, you better wear a cravat if your name's Hammy Love. England did have a player, not not a wicketkeeper, uh, but a, a player called Dick Puffer, though, which I think is going to be hard to beat. Lovely stuff. On the subject of Kerry's uh, wicketkeeping, he took uh, eight catches, a record for a player on uh, on Test debut. England, on the other hand, dropped a lot. They they dropped five out of fourteen chances uh, according ah. to the database and my notes. Australia caught eighteen out of eighteen and a half, if you can consider as a half the ball that almost took Pat Cummins' head off uh, from a shot by David Milan. But it's one of those hard things to practice. Uh, catching, catching, I'd, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the catching's yeah. easy, but it's more the mental side of it. Um, I, look, I looked at some stats. I dug around with this. Steve Smith took his hundredth catch in uh, his last forty-five tests, which is an all-time record. And even he, he gets more chance than he's dropped twenty-two and he's caught a hundred in that time. That works out at one chance every sixty overs, four and a half hours. One chance every four and a half hours on the field, and he gets more chances than anyone. How on earth can you practice for doing? One relevant thing every four and a half hours. Mm. I mean, to be honest, for me, that's quite a busy day. But for most what? normal people, <laughs> but how? how what, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Is that, I, I, I'm the best stacker of a dishwasher right. in London. Really? And I have to you do call. that about once every eight hours. Right. I reckon. And I'm absolutely brilliant at it. I, mean, I, I don't have any sympathy with these guys at all. Yeah, but you, but I'm, you don't, um, you don't sit there I, thinking at any point suddenly a dishwasher is going to need to be stacked. <laughs> And it's going to fly at you at eighty miles an hour. <laughs> That's true. That is that is the flaw in my theory there. Yeah, that is a, yeah. But but I do have a, I do have a partner who could be annoyed with me at any moment. <laughs> All right. Okay. Very similar. Let's move on to Australia, uh, Felicity. Yes, let's. Let's look at Travis Head, mm. who scored. 152. He reaches 100 in 85 balls, the joint third fastest Ashes 100 ever scored in the what almost almost one and a half centuries of Ashes cricket. My question for you is, <laughs> where the f- did that innings come from? Because there was mm. nothing, nothing in Travis Head's previous record for Australia that suggested he could do that. He'd got 200 before. One against Sri Lanka, one against New Zealand. Nowhere, neither of them under 150 balls. He'd never scored a first-class 100 at under a runner ball. He does it in a test match. This was like Ernie the Incredible Belching Dog barking out a perfect Ness and Dormer, if I may, may overstate wildly to make a point. I think there's one very clear answer, right. and it's the power of the tash. He oh, had right. a new tash. Okay. It brought him a lot of sexual confidence. <laughs> sexual confidence. I think that he could feel that. That's not that. in my stats database. I can't, well, can't, can't compute. I need a column for sexual confidence. Not everything can be quantified in a statistic, Andy. Right. Sometimes it just comes down to the, to the mojo. <laughs> and that was the mojo. That was the Joe of the mo. Right. That's what I'm putting it down to. He got a new tash and he felt good about himself. I mean, if batting success is down to sexual confidence, that puts Don Bradman's life in an entirely new perspective um, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. Uh, that's a stressful existence that's what that right. is okay i mean those are the bits in body line that they didn't show the 1980s miniseries i didn't i, I didn't i didn't really notice was it what she called nessie i didn't really notice a great deal of sexual confidence in bradman right. but he had a 
He had a calm authority, didn't he? And you a, wouldn't have picked a that massive up. Massive superiority. Now you're right. Unless you're bi or gay, and I make no aspersions. It was a real right. hetero vibe that Bradman was getting out. <laughs> it was one of those treat him mean, keep him keen kind of things. Right. I'm, I'm going to act cold and women all go, ooh, he seems emotionally unavailable. That is right. a, a power as well. That is okay. a sexual confidence. Stan McCabe was certainly taken by that, wasn't he? I mean, <laughs> I'm starting to think, Felicity, that maybe we, Dan and I should put in a word for you to, to join the TMS commentary team as the sexual confidence analyst. Um, to, yeah, to yeah. Provide I'm, these insights that I don't think the rest of the team can can really do. Look, I have an, a niche skill that yeah. I'm prepared to be paid for <laughs> <laughs> very badly and at terrible working hours. There was a shot that Head played that that resonates with me, like it scares me to this right. day. I, I slept really, really well the day after the uh, <laughs> the last day, but I was woken up in a cold sweat by his cross batted slash through backward point for four. Who was that off? Was that off wood? It might have been oh, off wood. It was going at about 90 miles an hour and he yeah. absolutely smashed it. I'm thinking, oh my God, I thought this guy was supposed to be shit. <laughs> and uh, it, it turned out, it turns out he's uh, bloody Brian Lara. Yes, I think to be honest, to be honest, Dan, <laughs> we, we could start a kind of Ashes Nostalgia podcast, as England fans called, I thought this guy was supposed to be shit. And we, yeah. we just go through... <laughs> All the people who were supposed to be shit who brought pain and suffering to England. So Travis had an impressive entry to that pantheon. And then series two is, I thought this guy was supposed to be good and you just go through all your players. <laughs> Felicity, obviously it was a big win for Australia, but I mean, we've been floundering around trying to find some scintilla of positivity to take from England's perspective. Uh, let's look for the negatives for Australia. Let's bring mm. this down a bit. It mm. didn't all... Go well, Marcus Harris out cheaply in the in the first inning. Stark didn't look, still doesn't look the bowler that he was two three years ago. Steve Smith out for twelve, which is his last eleven tests against England in the first innings. He's only got under seventy five once. So have we broken the spell of Steve Smith? And if so, did we do it by making him come in when Australia already had one hundred and sixty on the board and he wasn't under pressure? He's not used to that. He's used to coming in Australia thirty for two. Look, firstly, may I say it's adorable that you're trying to say that Steve Smith is out of form. Um, <laughs> it's very cute that he's had one bad score and everyone's like, we have this to is cling it. to that. It's he the did, end. He didn't have a bad score in the last series until the very last innings. It didn't really matter. Yeah. Look, it might be that Labuschagne is uh, just picking up where he took off. He's, yeah, Labuschagne is wonderful. It's like watching Steve Smith, but pretty. <laughs> I don't just mean the face. I mean the, the technique, you know, it's it's beautiful. Harris, yes, there's a lot of questions about whether he's going to, you know, keep his position. And we haven't had a guaranteed opener. I mean, neither of us have for a long time. As for Stark, I don't want to hear a f***ing word against Mitchell Stark right, okay. after that first ball, okay? <laughs> I don't want to hear he it doesn't look, it hasn't looked like it for the rest. That ball is going to go down in history. Yeah, would you rather point. play fine for a whole test or would you rather play the one defining ball? <laughs> no one's ever going to forget the first ball of this Ashes at the Gabba and it's that wicket and it's Mitchell Stark and he's given it to his critics. Let's move on uh, to some of the other talking points that come from this test. Mm. Technology, Felicity, Ben Stokes, Bowled David Warner with a no ball. It turned out that uh, the technology for checking whether it, um, he was bowling no balls wasn't 
wasn't working, the umpires just can't really be asked to do that. And yeah, I mean, this really destroyed England. Um, without you know, had they taken that no ball, obviously they'd then skittle for uh, Australia for about 120, maybe uh, scored 600 for three, and then won probably <laughs> towards the end of day four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should this result be declared null and void because of of that? technology not being available look that's one way of looking at it the other way is that i think that ben stokes got 18 no balls something like that he didn't pull it back even after the no ball no wicket to warner (laughs) and there's a difference between technology being broken and your eyes being broken i don't know what these umpires are looking at right but how are you not picking up 18 no balls on one bowler right it's a good question. On the flip side of that, I've figured out why Ben Stokes himself was doing so many no balls. The Antipodean, as yep. we know, Ben Stokes is born in New Zealand. They're two hours ahead. So I think being back in the Southern Hemisphere, his feet are just adjusting to his natural internal time zone <laughs> and they're a little bit ahead. Right. New Zealand's two hours ahead theory. of Australia. So that's oh, what I, I think. See. I think his feet are just being drawn back to um, the natural internal clock. That sounds like it makes sense, but it really... Absolutely doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but 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 thank you. And that's why we work together, Andy. I mean, do you think that we need to? You know, we've we've used technology for, but but when the technology is unavailable, does there need to be a little kind of hole in the ground, two or three yards away from where the bowler's foot lands, with the fourth umpire in a kind of military helmet, who just pokes his eyes Mm. above the surface as the foot lands, and then as soon as it lands, he ducks back down so he's out of out of the way. I mean, I think this could be something. New for I absolutely love this. I wish that, thinking of that, I wish the gopher was a native animal to Australia. Right. So it could just pop up, back down. Or the meerkat. We don't yep. have either of those. Um, and that would ruin our bite. Meerkat's calling no balls. That's a very, very simple solution to this. It, it's a really simple one. It, it's that the bowler receives a mild electric shock the first time that mm. no part of their foot is behind right. the line. If there's nothing behind the line, then... Bang, electric shock. And you get a little one the first time. And if you keep on doing it, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, and that'll teach them. Right. You don't think there should be like a shark-filled trench just in front of the, the, the crease? Where the... Not yet. I think 14 nobles, maybe. Right. Possibly that is a shark-filled trench, yeah. Look, talking of technology and talking of Australian technology, we have been trying to shake the stereotype that we are a backwards country, that our internet isn't fast enough, that we don't have a good fashion sense. And then a power cut and an international broadcast outage has mm. done nothing to make that stereotype disappear. The whole of Queensland was like, oh, the wind was too strong and it blew out the electricity. <laughs> Come on, Australia. <laughs> so embarrassing. This was in many ways the highlight of the test match when for suddenly all the pitchers just went, there was a yeah, power cut at the, mm. uh, in the media compound at the ground, and uh, particularly for a test where... Both the, you know, a lot of the radio and TV coverage were doing it from remote studios, <laughs> and suddenly there was, and it did sort of raise a philosophical question: of, you know, <laughs> was the cricket still still happening if no one could see it? If a wicket falls on a pitch but no one's there to see it, did it really happen? That was definitely what was running through my mind. I, I thought England might actually be able to get away with a draw by default, right, mm-hmm. on the basis that it that it wasn't you know part of the record. I mean, there should be some rule in the ICC legislation that if the broadcast is interrupted, the game is automatically declared a draw. So let's call it nil-nil so far. Yeah. It did really make me appreciate electric power, though, and made me think that, you know, this, you know the harrowing interruption of a test match, we can't have that. And I've totally changed my mind on global warming. And I just think yeah, whatever yeah. needs to be burned, 
to keep televised cricket going, unbroken, I'm happy to burn it, personally. You heard it here first. Andy Zaltzman, very yep. pro-fracking. <laughs> Stand back, it's a stat whack. Well, obviously, it being a cricket match, there were uh, a deluge of, uh, of stats. Let's start with a Pat Cummins stat, Felicity. Hit me. This was the 17th consecutive test match in which Pat Cummins had taken at least three wickets. Uh, he took seven, including five, in the first innings. That ties the all-time record for most consecutive matches by a fast bowler in which he's taken three or more wickets. I mean, it's a niche stat, but it does say how amazingly consistent. He basically just never bowls shit, which I don't think is entirely fair. No. Having said that, if I just heard that stat and I had a peen, I would absolutely have a boner right now. That is a beautiful <laughs> stat. <laughs> Well, that's that's all I want from my stats is to pe- <laughs> for people to have theoretical, hypothetical boners. Yeah, yeah. This is now eighteen tests in a row that England have played in Oceania or Australasia mm. or Australia New Zealand region without winning since the SCG test at the end of the twenty ten eleven Ashes series. No wins in eighteen tests in Australia New Zealand. Eleven in a row without a win in Australia. That is England's second longest winless sequence. In Australia, and the other was interrupted by a world war that went from January 1937, <laughs> featuring the Quisling traitor Gubby Allen, as discussed, to February 1951. Very inconsiderate. Very inconsiderate. So if we don't win in Adelaide, that'll tie that record, which is not a good record to have, Dan, I would say. But a record is a record is a record. Yeah, I mean, I think as Rory Burns would have said in the team talk yeah. afterwards, I, mean, I think he'll, he'll be encouraging that loss yeah. uh, at Adelaide, yeah. I've got a Joe Root stat for you, Dan. This this gives us some, some hope. Mm. Root was the 10th England captain to be out for a duck in the first innings of a series against Australia. Of the previous nine, eight have ended up on the winning side in the series. The oh. exception was Freddie Flintoff in 2006, but he shouldn't have been captain, so he doesn't count. So it's basically every time <laughs> England's captain, genuine captain, uh, rather than uh, a standard, um, has been out for a duck in the first innings against Australia, England has won the series. I mean, most of them, uh, all apart from uh, Flintoff, Strauss and Joe Root recently, uh, were before the First World War. It began with Ivo Bly in 1882, would you believe? Just highlighting how England have struggled with the bat this year. If you take out Joe Root's runs, and he scored a thousand more than England, more than a thousand more than England's next highest scoring batsman, that is an all-time record margin of superiority by a player in a calendar year over his teammates. If you take out Root's runs this year, all the other England players combined have averaged just under 19 between them, which, without Root, would be England's worst year in Test cricket as a batting team since 1906 and their worst ever in a year containing more than five tests. This has been historically awful and Root has papered over the canyons, chasmic canyons in the England's, uh, England's batting. And But let's finish with a positive note. The second test. Ignore the first test. It's happened. You can't, we can't change it now. It's the no, gabba. Mm. What are you going to do? Exactly. The second test is where things really happen. Since the Second World War, there have been 20 second tests between England and Australia in Australia. Three have been drawn. Of the 17 that have produced a winner, the winner of the second test won the series 16 times. 16 out of 17, and the other one was drawn. So let's write off the first test. Might as well not have played it. Let's just gone straight into the second test. This game, and then not play the third, fourth, and fifth test. 
it's just decided on this game. Because England have done what they've done, they've rested Anderson and Broad, they have actually already won the Adelaide test. Right. I mean, I think we all know that. Yeah. Because that was also, that was, that was part of the stats, wasn't it? That yes. was part of the stats. That was part of the reasons. Yeah. I mean, it's a pink ball test for a start and everybody knows that England are going to win pink ball tests despite yeah. the fact that Australia have never lost one mm. and yeah, they have win. never drawn yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they've got the by far and away the best bowlers for it, despite the fact that Australia have got Cummins and Stark and Richardson and whoever else. But, you know, without Hazelwood, with it being at Adelaide, with England having their best bowlers and with Nathan Lehman having crunched the numbers, uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a crumb of comfort. It's an absolute the mountain of certainty. Right. Uh, England have won this game. Yeah. And I think Australia will just be pleased to have got a foothold in the series and be, to be clinging on at right. this stage just to have okay. the chance. I've got a little mm. suggestion for a yep. reshuffle. I wonder okay. if Broad and Anderson shouldn't come back in the team but also open. Open just the batting. To, mm. Yeah, right. yeah. I think they should open the batting. And I, I think that Jimmy needs a little bit of confidence. I think it would have been shaken not being in the first um, test. And the thing is, he's only 30 years off retiring. So, you know, that could have really taken the wind out of his sails right. not being in the first test. So I think show confidence, opening batsman, second test at Adelaide. <laughs> Just a couple of um, late-breaking uh, injury news items ahead of the uh, Adelaide Test. Uh, Ollie Robinson set to be fit despite falling asleep and jabbing himself in the face with a crayon. Uh, he was trying to draw bags under his eyes to make himself look as tired as possible to lull the Australian batters into a sense of uh, false security, which worked pretty effectively in Brisbane. Mm. He did look knackered from basically ball one, and it, uh, <laughs> it, it was England's <laughs> most successful bowler. Maybe he's having a growth spurt. <laughs> Travis Head fit despite uh, having, over the last few days, repeatedly tried to peel his own face off Scooby-Doo style after becoming convinced that an imposter was pretending to be him after he blasted an 85-ball 100. And the fifth umpire, Drellard Butt-Clark, is out of the test after an injury sustained practising giving people out. Um, he kept you know, raising his finger, but it just kept going, and he's now stuck in a permanent windmill. Um, it's been a week, <laughs> and the doctors don't believe there's any possible cure. Uh, Felicity, have you heard anything on the, on the wires from the uh, Australian camp? Just one injury, and that's Nathan Lyon has done damage to his reputation that I think he's better than he is by achieving his 400th test wicket. So, right. unfortunately, he's earned the right to continue gloating and looking a little smugger than I'd like. <laughs> well, that concludes this week's Bugle Ashes Urncast. We will be back in just over a week's time to review the inevitable England victory from the Adelaide Day-Night Test. Uh, Dan, thanks very much for joining us. Where else can people hear you other than uh, on uh, on Test Match Special? Obviously, where else can people hear your musings on life and cricket? Yes, well, I'll I'll be on the Zero Ducks Given uh, podcast throughout the Ashes, where we will, in a slightly more morose way, uh, pick over the bones of England's failure with Stephen Finn and Toby Tarrant. And there's every chance that I'll crop up on Test Match Special again when you guys get quarantined in Adelaide and can't move <laughs> to the next place. And if you'd like to hear the history of cricket commentary as uh, understood through the ears and eyes of myself, Jonathan Agnew, Vic Marks and many other brilliant people, uh, you can find Calling the Shots. Just Google Calling the Shots, you'll find it somewhere. And it's a six-part exposition of how we came to say things like here comes Broad, Aryan Petrodish experiment, running away from us, <laughs> knees flailing up in the air. And uh, he's been thrashed through the offside again. That's why he wasn't picked at Brisbane, because he's a busted f***ing flush. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's see how well that one ages 
Felicity, anything else to plug? I do. I keep forgetting to tell people, if you are in London and you can't get to out to Australia, I am putting on two fundraisers uh, at the Comedy Store on the 17th and the 24th of January. It is for a, a charity called Together in Barnet. Some of the people that will be appearing on either of the shows are Rob Delaney, Lou Sanders, Nish Kumar, Fern Brady, Susie Ruffle, Ian Sterling, Darren Harriet. There's There will be loads more as well. Go to the Comedy Store London, go to their website, and it's on the 17th and the 24th of January next year. Also, if you're in Australia and you have iPlayer or you have access to the internet, I'm in a drama series called Wakefield. It has no references to cricket and it is What's actually... It's, I'm sorry, it's an eight-part drama story. series and we were nominated for ten actor awards and we won none of them. Um, but the show is very good and set in a psychiatric hospital. So there you go. It's so strange to make a TV series with no cricket in. Yeah, no. I tried to talk to them about it, but they wouldn't hear of it. If you're listening to this in Australia before, uh, well, tomorrow as we record, the 14th, I'm doing a gig in Adelaide at the Rhino Rooms. I'm at uh, Melbourne on the 21st and 22nd and Sydney on the 4th of January. Come along to... All of those shows, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back at one all in a week or so's time. You can listen to other programmes from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.